Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? It's not raining today. Anybody notice that? Oh, yes. I'm telling you, it's nice. It's just means the pollen's going to be even worse later on. So, you know, it's, it's catch-22 in the spring there. But we are so glad you guys are here at South Coast today. I want to welcome all those in LaGrange. How you guys? I miss you guys. I also want to welcome those online viewing with us today. We are glad that you are here. We are in the second week of our series, The Storyteller. And in this sermon series, we're looking at some of the parables of Jesus and seeing how they can apply to our lives today. Last week, Caleb talked about the parable of the lost sheep and how Jesus left the, the 99 and went after the one. And he challenged us, who's the one in your life? Who's that one person God has put in your life that he's placed that you can go and challenge them and get them? Today, we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, ironically, today, March 18th, is actually National Supreme Sacrifice Day. I, I, not making this up, it actually really is a day. Um, but this day honors those who have made tremendous sacrifice for the sake and the good of others, as well as those who sacrifice their lives every day for us. I mean, what could be more fitting today? And I love it how God begins to weave things together uh, as you're preparing and as you're getting ready for a message. And as I was doing that this week, God put another point into my life I want to share with you about. It was Wednesday night, and we had just finished up with student services. And everyone had left the building except for the staff, and we were all resetting the room, getting ready for, for this morning's services. And my oldest daughter came to me and said, someone's in the lobby. So I walked out there, and there was a FedEx delivery man standing there. Now, the first thing that came to my mind was, it is pretty late for FedEx delivery. You know, they're working extra hard. Um, but as we introduced ourselves and began to have a conversation, he explained his situation to me. You see, uh, the person, his coworker, who was supposed to give him a ride home, I guess got tired of waiting and left without him. Uh, and he was about to call a cab, but he realized he only had $3 of cash in his pocket. And so he had come up to the church to see if there's any way we could help him. Now, let, let me just go ahead and pause right there, because someone in this room today is thinking that guy could be a murderer, <clears throat> okay? I know, if, if that's you, you've been watching way too many crime scene dramas, okay? Like, we need to be cautious, but we don't need to be crazy, okay? So we had a conversation, and as I got to know this guy and we talked, um, he mentioned where he lived, and it was nowhere near where any of the staff live. It was actually pretty far outside of town, uh, but I told him, hey, I'll give you a ride home. Uh, about this time, I, my wife Angie had come out and uh, we, we were talking. I was gathering all my stuff together so I could take this man home. And he had mentioned that he'd actually been to our church before, to our campus before. And uh, in the fall, he and his wife had attended a homeschool function that we hosted at our LaGrange campus. And so we began to talk. And as we continued to have conversation, we began to discover a lot about this man and the connections that we had. Uh, turned out he's actually one of the FedEx guys who delivers to my house. So he knew exactly where my house was. So hopefully he's not a murderer because that would be bad. <clears throat> but as we began to have these conversations and then I dropped him off, I was thinking what a great night this was. But also that I was able to thank God for giving me the opportunity to practice what I'm about to preach. Now, me as a person, I miss these opportunities all the time in my life. But every once in a while, I get it right. I don't know if any of you are like me when it comes to that, but you realize how often God presents opportunities for us to love people and to engage people all around us. And if you're like me, many times we miss a few of those as well. 
You see, a, a man approached the gates of heaven and, and wanted to get in, and, and St. Peter asked him, tell me one good thing you've done in your life. When the man said, well, I, I saw a group of punks harassing an elderly lady, and so I walked up and kicked a leader in the shins. And Peter asked, well, when did that happen? And the man replied, about 40 seconds ago. <clears throat> you see, many of us struggle with helping other people, um, and we have a lot of different reasons for that. But some of them are good and some of them are not. I mean, we've been taught since an early age, stranger danger. You ever, ever heard that? Or don't talk to strangers. As a child, we, we were told that all the time. Um, sometimes we're afraid that we'll get taken advantage of or worse yet, that person may hurt us. Uh, others of us, uh, we make assumptions about why these people are in need and we begin to judge them. Or we want to give them something or help them, but we're afraid they may take that and squander it. Some of us are just too busy. And if we're being honest, a lot of us are just afraid. But God knew that we would struggle in this area, especially this area of loving others. And so he decided he would tackle this issue head on. And so we'll look again at the story of the Good Samaritan. It's one of the two most well-known stories in the Bible. But as we look at it today, hopefully something new will fall on you and help you to, to maybe see something you haven't seen before. We're picking up in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest who was going down that road, and when he saw him, passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So I want to take this passage and divide it into two main sections. The first will be the question, and the second, the answer. The first four verses deal with this question. Now, we see a lawyer approaching Jesus to ask him this question, to put him to the test. He was an expert in the law of God, and so he was a very religious man. Yet he was not genuinely looking for information, but for some way to, to trap Jesus and to put him in a situation where he could prove that what he was teaching was wrong. And so he asked him this question, and Jesus, as so often that he does, answers a question with the question. And he says, what is written in the law, and how do you read it? In other words, asking this lawyer, how do you interpret what the law has to say about this? Now, the lawyer responded well by using the summations of Old Testament law. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor 
as yourself. Now, the first part about loving God is from Deuteronomy 6, 5. It's referred to as the Shema. And all children in Israel would have known the Shema by the age of five. This was a big deal. Uh, if, if you know anything else about Deuteronomy 6, this is a passage where it says, teach the law to your children as you go. Wherever you are, you should be teaching the law. So they would have known this very well. The second part of the answer about loving your neighbor is from Leviticus 9.18. And the combination of these two answers are known as the greatest commandment. You know, the, the lawyer's answer may look very familiar to you. In the book of Matthew, we see someone trying to put Jesus to the test, and they ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus responded with the exact same answer, love God and love people. You see, but Jesus decided to have some fun with this lawyer. He didn't just tell him the answer, but he also challenged him to do it. He said, you have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. Now, I can guarantee you this ruffled that poor lawyer's feelings. I mean, he had to ask a second question how to justify himself. He, he was put off balance. And so he has to say, well, who is my neighbor? You see, I'm certain that this lawyer was a good man to people like him. I guarantee you he was great when it came to people who were scholars or religious leaders. However, this group in this time looked down on everybody else. And so in his mind, he's thinking, surely these, these other people who, who are beneath us are not our neighbors. They're, they're different. They're, they're not like me. So if I were to sum up the questions of the lawyer, that what must I do to have eternal life and, and who is my neighbor question, I think the over, overarching question is something along these lines. Jesus, knowing everything that I know, what is the bare minimum I can do and still have eternal life and feel good about myself? I think that's the question he's asking here. But Jesus shows extreme patience with this man. But I also think Jesus shows extreme patience with me because I find myself asking those questions a lot. They don't sound like that question. They sound more like this. God, do I really have to blank? Surely Jesus didn't mean for me to help this person. Or one of my favorites, that was a really good sermon. I need to make sure so-and-so hears that sermon because it would really apply to their lives. You see, so often, I want to push that off as well. But God is patient with me. But now I want to switch gears from, from this question and move more into the answer. And let's dig into that a little bit more. But once again, Jesus doesn't answer this who is my neighbor question directly. He decides to tell a story. And so he starts with a story about a man going on a journey. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. But I want you to understand that even the road on this journey plays a very important part in understanding Jesus' full answer. You see, Jerusalem is located along the ridge of a coastal mountains running north and south in Palestine. Jericho, on the other hand, is located in the plain of the Jordan River in a geological rift zone that is hundreds of feet below sea level. This 17-mile road that connects these two cities descends more than 3,300 feet through desert and rocky country and can easily hide bandits. In the time of Jesus, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was notorious for its danger and difficulty. It was known as the way of blood. 
because of the blow which often shed there by robbers. Martin Luther King Jr. in his I've Been to the Mountaintop speech on the day before his death described this very road in his sermon. As soon as we got on that road, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as a setting for his parable. It's a winding, meandering road. In the days of Jesus, it came to be known as the Bloody Pass. And you know, it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they thought that the man on the ground was merely faking. He was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there, lure them for a quick and easy seizure. And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? You see, by using this road in his story, I think Jesus is about to take away our excuse and our outward motives and deal with what matters most to him, our hearts. You see, when our hearts are full of Jesus, it doesn't matter the circumstances. We are compelled to love him and to love people. I want you to take a few moments and please watch this video. Luke 10, 31 to 34. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. When we read scripture, I think there's a great danger that we have the tendency to make one of two mistakes. One of them is that we take figurative passages of scripture and we make them literal. We call that legalism. But then we take literal passages of scripture, make them figurative, and we call that disobedience. Why do we interpret literal passages figuratively? Because it lets us off the hook. Because then it's just a story, a nice story, an inspiring story. Peter Marshall once said, most of us know perfectly well what we ought to do. Our trouble is that we don't want to do it. But I want to push us a bit farther this weekend. It says in this story that he went to him. What I suggest is that the Good Samaritan went out of his way. Went out of his way. What's interesting in this story is that everybody went out of their way. The priest and the Levite went out of their way to go on the other side of the road so that their conscience wouldn't be bothered so much. The Samaritan went out of his way to come closer, to get messy. The priest and the Levite showed apathy towards this man. No concern for him, only concern for themselves. The Samaritan, on the other hand, showed empathy. When he saw this wounded man, his heart broke, and he put aside concern for himself for those of another. Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says, So if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So at first we see 
two religious people come by. We see this priest and a Levite. Now, it helps if we understand the culture here to understand maybe what they were thinking. You see, anyone who touched a dead person would become unclean. They'd become ceremonially unclean and couldn't worship at that time. You see, the priest could have used this excuse that they didn't want to touch the man because he might have been dead. That would have kept him from serving God in, in the temple. But when we read the passage, it says they were coming down the road. They were leaving Jerusalem. They were, they were leaving worship. They were leaving work. And so that excuse doesn't hold up. They'd already accomplished their duties, and they were heading home. In fact, this story shows their hypocrisy. They had just been to worship God, to love God, which was the first part of that answer. But they failed to show compassion to the wounded man. They failed to love their neighbor. Now, his refusal to love his neighbor cast doubt on his love for God. Now, as a priest, this man knew the law. By the age of 12, he would have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. Not read them. He, he would have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. He knew the law. So he would have known a passage like Exodus 23, 4 to 5, which commanded him to help his enemy's donkey if it was lost or overburdened. But he wouldn't go help a person who was wounded and hurt. You see, the Levite was also from this tribe responsible for spiritual leadership of the nation. The Levites were set aside early on in, in Exodus to be the ones who tended to the temple, who tended to the synagogue, who, who kept up the work. And so they were very spiritual leaders in the nation. He would also have known what the law required of him. But what did they do? They both ignored the wounded man lying in the road. These two represent people caught up in lifeless religion. You see, they, they play at church. They, they come on Sundays. They even sometimes come on Wednesday nights. They play a church game, but it does not affect the way that they live whatsoever. In other words, there's a mask that they put on for Sunday mornings, and who they are the rest of the week is very different. But then we have this Samaritan who comes down the road. Now, the Samaritans were the group of people the Jews hated the most. They hated Samaritans more than they hated the Romans who were occupying their land. You see, this man saw someone in need and had compassion on him. In that moment, he didn't stop to rationalize or, or question. He just responded. He took the injured man and wrapped his wounds. Then he took him someplace safe and paid for his care. He gave the innkeeper the equivalent of two days' wages and told him that he would cover any additional costs that he would occur along the way. And then Jesus then looks at this lawyer and asks the lawyer a final question. Jesus looks at him and says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now, this is an easy question to answer but it's a hard answer to live with. It's obvious from the story who the neighbor is. Uh, as Mr. Rogers would say, you know, who are the people in your neighborhood? Well, they're the people that you meet when you're walking down the street. They're the people that you meet each day. 
It was very hard to say that and not seeing it. I'm just going to put that out there. But <laughs> the actual Greek word used here for neighbor is plasion. And what that word means is that one who is near. That's the definition of neighbor, one who is near. So when the lawyer answers, the one who showed him mercy, and didn't Jesus said, you go and do likewise. You know, I, I can almost see this unfold. As it starts off, this lawyer is, is staunch. He's, he's proud of who he is, and he walks in, and he's like, I'm going to get Jesus. I'm going to be the guy who gets Jesus. And he asks him these questions, these really good questions. And as this conversation goes, I can see his shoulders maybe come a little less rigid, start to drop. And by the time the story's done and Jesus looks and says, who is the neighbor? I think his head is bowed, kind of almost in defeat. And he says, yeah, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus looks at him in love and tells him, you go and do likewise. So, so how do we take this parable of the Good Samaritan and apply it to our lives today? And how do we take this parable and go and do likewise? Well, I think there's three areas that we can practically apply this in our lives. The first one is in the area of compassion. Compassion. While the priest and the Levite passed by, the Samaritan moved toward the injured man. This is so significant because you must move toward people in order to love, in, in order to build relationships. Believe it or not, it just doesn't happen. And it's, it's not always convenient. The Samaritan is moving towards someone who would despise him if he was conscious. He's moving to someone who probably would not do, to, do the same for him if their roles were reversed. When you feel like you have no deep relationships with others, perhaps it's because you are waiting for something to happen. You are waiting for someone else to move towards you. And, and perhaps you need to take the initiative and move towards others. It's a scary thing to do because you might be rejected. You might get hurt. But you can't build relationships unless you do. You know, one Christmas Eve during World War II, at the Battle of the Bulge, a young boy and his mother were alone in their forested cabin, safe from the icy cold, and they thought from the enemy soldiers who were, who were spread out and hiding in the countryside. Miss Vinken and her son Fritz heard someone at the door. She opened it to find a group of U.S. soldiers. One of those had been wounded. She brushed aside her fears of execution for helping the enemy and let the soldiers into her house. Now, she didn't speak English and the soldiers didn't speak German, but they managed to piecemeal some French together and have some kind of conversation. Not long after the soldiers had settled in, there was a loud and sharp knocking at the door. Miss Vinken was frightened that it could be German soldiers, so she opened the door carefully. And she was right. It was a group of German soldiers. Now, there's a very strong likelihood that the German soldiers had no mercy, that she would be shot for harboring the Americans, even if it had only been for these few moments. The brave woman stepped outside and told the German soldiers that she would serve them a hot dinner, but that it was Christmas Eve and she already had guests. She asked the Germans to leave their guns in the shed because even though they might not like her visitors, 
Christmas Eve was a night of peace. She then went inside, took the guns of the Americans, and hid them away as well. The German soldiers, having honored her request, stepped inside. And the atmosphere was awkward at first until one of the German soldiers, a medic, began work on dressing the wounds of the American. Fritz Winken, who was only a boy, recounted this incident in an interview. He said, Then we added more ingredients to our stew and invited these enemies to sit down together for dinner. One of the German soldiers, an ex-medical student, fixed the wounded American, and then mother read from the Bible and declared that there would be at least one night of peace in this war. Christmas night in the Arden Forest. After a good night's rest, they said their goodbyes and went on their way. The German soldiers told the Americans which way their camp was and gave them a compass to help them find their way. Now, Miss Vinken never saw any of these soldiers again, but her son Fritz had been reunited with two of the Americans. He said, Many years have gone since the bloodiest of all wars, but the memories of that night in the Ardens never left me. The inner strength of a single woman, who by her wits and intuition prevented potential bloodshed, taught me the practical meaning of the words, goodwill toward mankind. I remember mother and those seven young soldiers who met his enemies and parted his friends right in the middle of the Battle of the Bulge. Compassion. The second area I think we can take away from this is the area of care. You know, it says he stopped and took care of his wounds. Now, oil and wine were the traveling medicine kit of the day. And so he took what he had and, and he took care of this man. And then he put him on his own donkey and the Samaritan walked. That'd be like putting someone in your car and then you pushing the car somewhere. He, he did above and beyond when it came to care. He took the wounded man to an inn. But it's important to recognize that he took the time to care for him. You know, I think sometimes we, we make a donation to a worthy cause when we could do so much more. We could actually get involved in that cause. But we, we give a little money to pacify our conscience and say, well, we, we did something. You see, in our society, we are so busy with the race of, of going to work, taking kids to soccer games, going to life group. Uh, just there's so much going on in our lives that I think it's easy for us to overlook and not take the time to reach out to someone else. Even something as small as giving someone a ride home is a good Samaritan act that shows that we care about other people. And that's what God wants to see, a demonstration that we care for people other than ourselves. And finally, the third thing I think we can take away today is cost. It cost this man something. You see, he gave money in order to take care of him. And he put no limit on how much money he was willing to spend to see that the wounded man was taken care of. Now remember that this Samaritan is in enemy territory. He, he's not liked. He's not welcome here. He's doing business. He's getting in. He's getting out. But he stops to take care of this man. And then he goes, takes him to a local inn, which had been run by Jews, people who hated him. And he basically looks and says, hey, here's my visa card. Spend what you need. And I'll come back later. Do whatever you can to take care of him. Talk about vulnerability. But it's important to understand that vulnerability is so significant because it's essential for loving other people. When you move towards someone else, when you open yourself up to help people, when you open yourself up to love people, there's a great potential you can get hurt. 
But that's a cost that we have to be willing to pay to do what Jesus has called us to do. Mother Teresa once said this, the biggest disease today is not leprosy or cancer. It's the feeling of being uncared for or unwanted, of being deserted and alone. The greatest evil is a lack of love and charity and an indifference towards one's neighbors who may be the victim of poverty or disease or exploited and at the end of his life left at a roadside. On June 1st, 1998, the Los Angeles Times newspaper ran a story of a 50-year-old man who suffered a heart attack while taking the state bar exam. Two of the other students stopped taking their test and began to perform CPR on this man until paramedics could arrive. And once the paramedics arrived, they continued to take their bar exam. Citing policy, the tech supervisor refused to allow the two helpers additional time to make up for the 40 minutes they spent helping the victim. The state bar's senior executive for admissions backed the decision saying, if these two want to be lawyers, they should learn a lesson about priorities. I believe that these men, although frustrated, were fine with the cost. You see, you can take the bar exam again, but the man they helped only had one chance at life. And it was a cost that those men were willing to take. You know, Jesus earlier in the book of Luke told us in in chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Following Jesus will cost us. Last week, we we passed out these... uh, these wristbands right here. And, uh, you know, if you have one, great. If not, today when you leave at both campuses, there'll be ushers at the door who will be able to give you these wristbands. But these wristbands, I'm going to tell you, they're going to cost you something. If you put one of these wristbands on that says, I'm a storyteller, someone's going to ask you about it. As a matter of fact, we've already heard a lot of people sharing stories back with us about people who have asked them about their wristbands and that they've been able to share Jesus with them. From, from businessmen to, to stay-at-home moms to, to students, we've heard all kinds of stories about people asking, what about your wristband? But you see, it costs us something because it opens us up to share Jesus. And when we do that, people are going to judge us. People are going to take what we say and they're going to think something about us. And that could cost us something. But I'm going to tell you something, following Jesus is worth it. So what would our community look like if we all lived with a little more compassion. Uh, A few years back, there was a movie that came out called Evan Almighty. And in this movie, uh, Morgan Freeman, who played God, is having a conversation with Evan Baxter, who was played by Steve Carell. And and Evan Baxter was a a new politician who wanted to make a difference, but he he was kind of getting lost in D.C. And so he's trying to figure out, how do I make a way through all of this? And so in this dialogue, there's these two questions where, you know, there's a question that was asked. It says, how do you change the world? And the answer was one act of random kindness at a time. You see, when I look at the world around me, I can become overwhelmed. There's a lot of stuff happening, a lot of negative, a lot of bad, a lot of poverty, a lot of injustice. And I can become overwhelmed. And we find ourselves asking, what can I do? Well, I'm gonna give you the same answer that Jesus gave that lawyer. Love God and love people. You see, our church vision is to reach South Atlanta one relationship at a time. Now, sometimes we fall into this trap about hearing something that we do good here at Southcrest and and take pride in what someone else has done. But God wants us to individually to get involved in reaching our neighbors. 
the people around us, those nearby. He wants you as an individual to love him and then to love people. You see, there are three attitudes shown in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The first is the attitude of the robbers. What's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. The second attitude we see is that of the priest and the Levite. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. But the last attitude we see is that of the Good Samaritan, who says, what's mine is yours, I'm going to share it. This is the attitude that Jesus had when he nailed himself to that cross. He said, what's what's mine is yours, righteousness. My righteousness I give to you. And you know what I'm going to take from you? Your sin, your death, your punishment. I'm going to take that. I'm going to give you my grace. You see, because of that, we truly need to follow him. You know, many people who think they are following Jesus have actually invited Jesus to follow them. They invert the gospel. They want God to serve their purposes, not the other way around. But the true spiritual adventure begins when you follow Jesus whenever and wherever. You see, most of us will follow Jesus to the point of inconvenience, and then we stop. We are more than willing to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't detour our plans. But it was a willingness to be inconvenienced that defined the Good Samaritan. When was the last time you inconvenienced yourself for someone else? Where do you need to be inconvenienced in your relationship with God? Don't settle for the path of least resistance. You go and do likewise.